0: Pastor Xavier Reese, and the only hope from total destruction.
1: I mean, how would you respond if you got out of church right now and went down the street and a building's on fire and people are in there and they're unaware of it. Would you stand across the street and go, the building's on fire? You'd be yelling. I've got to get their attention. I have to warn them. Do you think the gospel is any less urgent? It is not. It is of greater urgency.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. No matter what culture or region you study, religion is a significant part of the history of man. But why is it so hard for man to see the one true God? Today, as he goes back to the book of Isaiah, Pastor Xavier points to the only God who came to serve. It's time to join him for today's Bible study from the book of Isaiah. It's appropriately titled, The Servant of the Lord.
1: The prophet Isaiah provides for us a sneak preview of the Messiah to come through a threefold lens. The character of his person is given to us in verse 1 through 4. The character of his mission in verse 5 through 9. And the character of his praise in verse 10 through 12. He begins with the character of his person in the first four verses. Notice first in verse 1, he is the obedient son of God. The father identifies the obedient son of God by the title, my servant. Notice the command is to behold my servant, whom I uphold. The implication is in admiration of God, his coming servant instead of the dead idols. He has just talked in the previous chapter about idols. He says, don't look at idols, look at me. They cannot deliver you, I can deliver you. Don't trust in them, trust in me. The indication is the source of the Messiah's strength. I will uphold him. Here you see the oneness of the Father and the Son in the plan of redemption. The Son being obedient in submission, the Father being the one standing behind the plan. But notice, secondly, that he is the perfect man. Verse 2 and 3. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. He would not promote himself like men usually do. For often Jesus says, Tell no one who healed you. If he wanted to grab make him king, he'd walk away. Notice a bruised reed he would not break, and a smoking flax he would not quench. He would be gentle and caring shepherd with the most frail person ready to be broken typified by the bruised reed a reed is, is a dried brush like that in the Nile that was very abundant and you know like a leaf you go by a tree and it's kind of the twigs kind of broken off that's what it's talking about well he would not just come by and say "Oh, you wimp break it he's a, so tender and so caring as a shepherd that he would mend it. he would care for it. he could, he could restore he's compassionate he will be a source of hope and strange for the person who has no hope, ready to give it up, typified by the smoking wick here, ready to be put out and snuffed out by a person. Rather, he would ignite it to give it life. Now, notice, thirdly, when you get to the end of verse 3 and 4, that he is God incarnate. He is constantly referred to by Isaiah as the Holy One of Israel. The phrase appears 20 times in the first 41 chapters 12 times after that chapter to the end it is the key phrase isaiah it's only found two or three other times in the rest of the scripture notice till he has established justice on the earth how by dying the most horrible death on the cross being a ransom for sin and saying it is finished why because mark 10:45 says he came to serve And not to be served and give his life a ransom for many. By resurrecting from the dead, that was the evidence that the Father accepted the payment. If Jesus would not have risen from the grave, then the death on the cross would have been in vain, worthless. The resurrection was the receipt and the guarantee that the Father accepted the payment for sin. Justice is settled. And then ultimately justice at the white throne judgment when he judges all mankind and all will be judged according to the book of life. Notice secondly, the character of his mission in verse 5 through 9. First of all, in in verse 5, the character of his mission is based on the credentials of God the Father. The declaration is by Elohim Jehovah, the creator and personal God of the Jews, who is the supreme authority. They ask Jesus, by what authority do you do this? We always want to find out, well, by what right? Who told you I can't do this? Who, Who says that? God says, listen up. I am the source behind it. I am the authority. It's based on my authority. Who are you? I'm the creator. Oh, okay. You ever get caught somewhere or maybe you're in a house or you're renting or something, you've never met the landlord and all of a sudden you're painting and and the the guy just walks in and you go, yeah, can I help you? And the guy goes, yeah, I'm the owner. Oh, oh, hi, how you doing? Once you find out who he is, the tone changes, right? (laughs) The ability to do what he has declared is substantiated by his credentials. Credentials are very important. If you've done any kind of building or any construction, and if you haven't asked for credentials, I'm sure you've paid a price. <laughs> you want to make sure people are able to do the job. Here's his credentials. He created the heavens and stretched them out. He spread forth the earth that is, and all that comes from it. He gave breath to the people in it and the spirit to those who walk in it. How's that for an opening line at the interview? Oh, you'll do. <laughs> That's great. But notice, secondly, verse 6 and 7 is is based on a new covenant, the character of his mission. A new covenant. God the Father called the Son in righteousness, and he would hold his hand. Righteousness refers to the holiness regarding God and man. Righteousness was satisfied at the cross as the Father strengthened the Son to be the Lamb of God. He was making us right with him. Righteousness. You and I don't have it. It's imputed to us by grace and faith. And the Father looks upon us as he sees his Son. And then because we are his children, then righteousness can also be imparted through us as we depend on the Spirit of God to do it for us. But we stand on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Very clear in the New Testament. Notice still in verse 6 that God would keep the Son and give him as a covenant to the people. The Father glorified the Son after the cross, as we said, through the resurrection. Oh my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me for a time, in a way, in a manner that you and I cannot understand. God the Father turned His back on the Son and the Son was separated from the Father for a set time. I don't know how that can be, but it's very, very clear that it happened. For you, for me. And he paid the price of all sin. And as the payment was made, he was one with the Father again. The new covenant was that of his body and blood. He told his disciples, This is my body broken for you. This is the blood of the New Testament shed for the remission of sins. No longer the IOUs of animals, bulls, and goats. They can never make a perfect perfect, the author of the Hebrews says. Jesus said, this is the new covenant versus the old covenant, the Old Testament law. In fact, God the Father would give him as a light to the Gentiles. Here he says, very straightforward. And the Lord Jesus clearly proclaimed this in the synagogue of Nazareth in Luke 4, 18 through 19. And when we get to Isaiah 61, 1, we'll, he quotes that right there. And he spoke about how God was going to go to the Gentiles. And he spoke about how God had, had gone through the Gentiles in the Old Testament, and that's why they got upset. Not that he said he was the Messiah, the fulfillment. Read that passage when he started saying, and you know the, that God had to go outside of Israel to, to the widow and and all that because there was no faith in Israel, and they got upset. That's why they got upset, not because he said that he was fulfilling Scripture. Read the context. They didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles. See, God proclaimed it from the beginning, but they got so self-righteous, they got to a place where they said, God never intended the Gentiles. Well, we, the church, can become the same way. God saves us out of the world, you know. And we start thinking, well, it's just us. No. The next generation. We have to keep that in mind. The passage is referred to in the Acts of the Apostles, Acts 13, 47, and 26, 23 also. But notice that the mission had a specific goal. It's given to us in verse 7. First, to open blind eyes, both physically and ultimately spiritually. Jesus healed many, many blind people. He did it a different way, so nobody would try to build some pattern of healing. But he was ultimately wanting to take the scales off man's eyes. You may be here this morning and not know Jesus Christ. Maybe you believe in God, but devils believe, but at least they tremble. Maybe you're religious, that's good, but it's not enough to get you into heaven. You need to be born again. You need to have your eyes open that you're a sinner, that if you don't turn from your sin, then the wrath of God is upon you. And if you don't turn from it and you die, you die in your sin. If you die in your sin, you're lost forever. If you're lost forever, you have no second chance. This is eternity. This is what we're talking about. And sometimes we can get to the place as Christians where we just kind of have like, well, you know, I mean, it's okay. they don't, It's okay. They're, they're perishing. I mean, how would you respond if you got out of church right now and you went down the street and a building's on fire and people are in there and they're unaware of it? Would you stand across the street and go, your building's on fire? <laughs> You'd be yelling. I've got to get their attention. I have to warn them. Do you think the gospel is any less urgent? It is not. It is of greater urgency. As I told you one time, you know, I've, I've been the chaplain of the fire department and. and um, in the police department for about 14 years, and I do sometimes some of those graduation things. They have, kind of, you know, you got a good dude, bless this, that. So I go, and, and you don't say a lot, but you know, it's just a prayer and that. So I'm always going, Lord, what do I say. And one time they were going on and on, you know, if you're a fireman, you understand what I'm coming, you know, you're real together, and you know, here we are, we're a family, and they're saying, you know, the fire prevention business, this and that, boom, boom, they're going on and on. And I'm going, Lord, give me some. So I get out there, and I go, you know, you find, might find it hard to believe, but I'm also in the fire prevention business. And there's a fire coming that you don't want You want to know how to get out. And they're all like this. I said, let's pray. <laughs> but um, the gospel is something serious. We can't play with it. You know, we, we can't continue to be as dumb as we were when we were teenagers or, or young. You know, stuff we used to say, well, you know, I'll go to hell because all my p- p- friends would be there. We're going to have a heavy party. Yeah, we going to have a heavy party, all right. You know, those dumb things. Now, hopefully you said that when you're 17, 18, or in your 20s, but if you're 40 now, you're saying the same thing. It's pathetic. Because you're going to perish. God doesn't want you to perish. Notice he says, My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. You see, thirty here is based on the uniqueness of God. The uniqueness of God. The uniqueness is to be able to pull people out of the prison house. To bring them out of prison from the prison. Those who sit in darkness of sin. Not only to open your blinds, but to pull you out. Why? Because we're in bondage of sin. Sin brings us into bondage. Sin, sin grabs you. It hooks you. And people are in bondage to drugs, to sex, to alcohol, whatever it is. And then and, and these habit-forming things. And you, you know, and, and, and it's Sin. And God's the only one that can break us of that bondage of sin. We are slaves to sin. So thirdly, it's based on the uniqueness of God. As verse 8 and 9 say, I am the Lord that is my name. That's his uniqueness. He gives us his name. God's name is Jehovah. I am that I am the becoming one that he told to Moses. It's a verb form. I will be anything and everything you allow me to be. If you trust me, if you call upon me, you want me to be your lawyer. You want me to be your healer, I will be your healer. You want me to be your strength, I'll be your strength. You want me to be your wisdom, I'll be your wisdom. But I cannot be what you do not want me to be. Do you understand what a gentleman God is? He says, I will never force myself upon you. Man, we are the ones who limit God. As the children of Israel Limited God in the wilderness, Psalm 78:41 says, "My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. He alone is the one who gets the credit. Do you get it? <laughs> if you examine the gospel, no one can boast. He alone gets the credit. He alone is God. No idol is to be praised or referred to in any sort of worship. This, he's contrasting himself through these chapters. He's saying things before they happen, so when they happen, they can know he's God. He's asking the idols to say things before they happen so he can mark them God. No one's saying anything. The unveiling of the plan guarantees it. In verse 9, the evidence is the past things. God has declared the things that have come to pass. And now he's telling new things before they come to pass. So when they come to pass, once again, you can know he's God. And that's the uniqueness of God. He knows the end from the beginning. He can foretell the future. He can tell you. He can see. He can hear. He can do all of that, whether it be past, present, or future. No one like him. The Encyclopedia Britannica uses 20,000 words to tell about Jesus. Jesus. And never hints that he did not exist. This is more words than the Britannica allows for Aristotle, Alexander the Great, Cicero, Julius Caesar, Napoleon Bonaparte. H.G. Wells blasphemed Jesus, yet he felt compelled to discuss Jesus on 10 pages of his outline of history and never questioned that a man named Jesus didn't live. The authority of the gospel is validated by the history of the church as myriads of lives have been transformed. Not to speak of how many lives have been laid down through severe and horrible persecutions. We have a catalog of such men and women in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. Men and women who this world was not worthy to have had. And they stopped the mouth of lions. They did many things as they trusted him who is invisible. Men and women of faith. Not of foolishness, but of faith. The word covenant, as you know in the Old Testament, means a cutting. And what would happen when two people would make a covenant is they would get a lamb and they would cut it in half, separate it. And they would both walk in the middle, or three, whoever was making the covenant. And as they walked between it, the blood would come together and join it. That meant that whoever walked between them was responsible to hold that covenant and to fulfill it. When God made the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, 13 through 18. And Abraham divided the animals. No one walked through the middle of them except for God. A small burning fire. In other words, this covenant... Is dependent on the faithfulness of God. Thank God. No man is involved in this. My part is do I want to be saved? That's my only part. He does it all. This was to be the character of his mission. Notice lastly, verse 10 through 12, the character of his praise. The character of his praise, first of all, is a command to sing a new song. The song is to be sung unto the Lord. The word Lord is all capital letters, meaning the name Yahweh or Jehovah. This is his covenant name. The song is a new one. The old song was the, uh, to exalt the Lord for the deliverance of Egypt. Remember Exodus 15, as they crossed the Red Sea? Then Moses' sister with her timbrel. This is the new song to exalt the Lord for His redemption of the world of lost humanity, both Jew and Gentile. The song of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 5. But notice, secondly, it's also a command it's for all to sing. The latter portion of verse 10 and 11. The praises to be given to God from the ends of the earth. That implies that the... Provisions of redemption is available to all people. No one is excluded except the one that excludes him. The praises and recognition of the provisions by the sovereign love of God, not the goodness of man. If you believe that you come to God based on your goodness, you're going to be surprised. Because as you come to God, he's going to show you how bad you are. It's his goodness, his love. Notice the particular areas, our name, reinforcing the deserved praise to be given throughout the earth. You who go down to the sea, all that is in it, in the coastlands, and you inhabit them. Let the wilderness and the cities lift up their voice. The village of Kedar inhabit them, which is, Kedar is Kuwait. We're familiar with Desert Storm. Let the inhabitants of Sila sing. That's Petra on the Jordan side. Why are they supposed to sing? Why is it forever? Listen, the song is one of victory. Let them shout from the top of the mountain. The song of praise here is of the greatest importance that man is to run to the highest mountaintop and proclaim it. The song of praise is of the greatest importance for the salvation of man. You don't be quiet about that. I hope you as a Christian never get to the place where you kind of just very lackadaisical, very indifferent about the gospel. I hope that every person you see and you come across in your life when you are talking with them is that you're praying that you, that you be sensitive for God to open that door for you to bring it across somehow to find out if they know Jesus or not because they're perishing. I'm not talking about being forceful. I'm not talking about being arrogant. I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm talking about being sensitive to God opening those doors. The good news is not to be ashamed, but shouted from the very top of the mountains. Never ashamed of the gospel. Notice thirdly, verse 12 a command to give glory to the Lord. The character of his praise is a command to give glory to God. The imperative is to give glory to who? The Lord. The reason is obvious from the initial proclamation. God the Father was going to send his only son to redeem the world. God was going to accept the substitution of his son's death for all sinners. God was able to do it in such a way that he would never violate his own holiness. God would make Jew and Gentile one in Christ. Ephesians 2 says that you who were once strangers from the covenant of promise Without Christ, without hope in the world, now you're one. He has broken down the middle wall of partition. Notice the imperative is to declare his praise also. Adoration and thanksgiving, public and private, corporate and individual. That we think and say, Lord, thank you. Do you ever sit around your house or just contemplate as you're driving and you say, Lord, you're so, thank you for saving me. Thank you for just being so good to me, for blessing, for just using, for just I mean, just in awe of what God has done. Luther called John 3:16, "the heart of the Bible," the gospel in miniature." It is so simple a child can understand it. it is, yet it is condensed and deep and marvelous truths of redemption into these few pugnant words, and listen to what he says. God the greatest lover, so love the greatest degree, the world, the greatest number, that he gave the greatest act, his only begotten son, the greatest gift, that whosoever, the greatest invitation, believeth, the greatest simplicity, in him, the greatest person, should not perish, the greatest deliverance, but the greatest difference, have the greatest certainty, everlasting life, the greatest possession. Now, you think you have a shabby message for mankind? I don't think so. He deserves all worship, man. All worship. And so the prophet Isaiah has provided for us a sneak preview of the Messiah to come through a 3 lens. The character of his person, the character of his mission, and the character of his praise. We are looking back on it. They were looking forward for it. We see a clarity they saw through a dark glass We have it all. We have the Messiah who's making intercession for us at the right hand of the Father.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese with a comforting revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you'd like a copy of today's message, request the title, The Servant of the Lord. And as always, it's available on CD for only $4. And this will also include what we heard the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is The Servant of the Lord, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address, once again, is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This helps us gauge the impact of this outreach in your area. Have you ever wondered what your true calling is? Your purpose in life? Get some insight when you join Pastor Xavier Reese right here on the next edition of Simple Truths.